Greetings, HPLD podcast listeners. Quick notification about another great service we've got available for you. We have a service called Specialty Checkout, which allows us to check out laptops, MiFi units, projectors, telescopes, and state park passes. You can find out more about these items and how to check them out under the Reserve and Checkout item in our menu on mylibrary.us. On today's episode, we have another Weldcast episode that we're putting back up again. This was an interview that was originally conducted in 1992. Um, it's an interview with a man named Skeets Calvin, and it's from the Greeley Museum Oral Histories Collection. The interview touches upon Skeets' upbringing in Cooner and Kersey, Colorado, his time serving in World War II as a photographer and soldier, his return to Greeley, as well as his career documenting Weld County and the surrounding areas. Enjoy! Welcome to Weldcast, a digital project from the High Plains Library District. This project records, documents, and preserves the rich history of Weld County and its residents through storytelling. The stories are stored digitally and are available to all users at weldcast.us. On this episode of Weldcast, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Instead of producing an interview that we recorded in the present, we decided to reach back a little further into the past with the help of the Greeley History Museum, which has been recording oral histories for decades and has over a hundred interviews all available to the public. I'd like to quickly acknowledge my mother, Marion Rugi, who volunteers at the museum transcribing these oral histories and who encouraged us to develop a partnership between Weldcast and the Greeley Museum. And I would like to thank museum employee Sarah Sachs for her help in putting together this episode. The subject of this episode of Weldcast is Skeets Calvin. He's a man who came from humble beginnings on a farm just outside of Greeley, who would go on to live a few lifetimes worth of experiences. The original interview took place on March 20th, 1992, and was conducted by Steve Friesen, with assistance from Barbara Tatman, whose voices you'll hear occasionally. We apologize for the quality of some of the audio. And for any clarifications, we'll be posting a transcript of the interview on our website. I believe that's your mother, Leota? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was my mother. And then also of your uncle. Uh-huh. Uncle Van. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is the extent of the museum's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we thought it might not be nice to get you while you were still alive. <laughs> well, see, both my grandma and Van and uh, Aunt Maggie. They pioneered here from Iowa mm-hmm. and stopped in Nebraska for a few years there and probably homesteaded on some bad ground, dry land stuff. Mm-hmm. So then they came on out here to really. Mm-hmm. And their homestead was right out here in the Delta District, which is now a trailer court. And that's where I first sensed that I was alive, was in the the, the house out there, the big house, mm-hmm. big two-story house. And there were farmers at that time. They raised sugar beets and took them to the factory. Cabbage, 
Skeets Calvin grew up on the family homestead, a beet farm in Cooner, Colorado, which is now probably part of the massive network of JBS Swift feedlots to the east of Greeley. But you cut down on the cattle and everything because the farm work took care of that. You didn't do yeah. much cattle. Maybe just a few in there for bushing in the fall, you know. Uh-huh. You get a bigger farm, you're going to be busy. And back in those days, most of your farm work was all hand work, too. You didn't yeah. have a fancy tractor or anything. Yeah. You cultivated the beets and the beans with two horses on a cultivator mm-hmm. that you controlled with your feet. This mm-hmm. way. You were cutting ground that close to beets and everything. You had to have a good, steady team of horses. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you walk right down that road just as straight as a pin. Never get in a hurry. Mm-hmm. All when you get everything. ready to go to the barn in the evening, though, when you're through, they hurried down that driveway. <laughs> oh, man, they were going. <laughs> get ready to get in the barn. Get Skeets didn't beat. quite have the mentality to sit in a classroom all day but he managed to make it to the 10th grade at Kersey High School before dropping out to spend more time on his true passion uh, of photography. I started my uh, amateur photography career in uh, 1935 okay. with a little brownie box camera. I did all my developing and everything down in the basement underneath the house out on the farm. No heat down there. In the wintertime, when I had time to do stuff, we weren't working in the field, I built me a little box out of a cigar box and put a light bulb in there mm-hmm. to keep my developer at certain change. No! The way I had to work. Outside of that, oh, it was froze. Oh, my gosh. That's how I got started. Mm-hmm. And I worked my way up. Went into the service 30 days after Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And got, oh, into, got into the rich photography there then. So in early January 1942, just 30 days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Calvin signed up to fight in World War II. He was assigned to Hendricks Army Airfield. Florida, which was the, the final stage of the B-17 Flying Fortress. Mm-hmm. Well, they looked over my records for some reason, and they sent me back up to Larry Field. For... Skeets found himself back in Colorado, only 50 miles from home, training at Lowry Field, the current site of the Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in Denver. Coming back home for military training was a blessing for Skeets, because he wasn't just another face in the crowd. The instructors there, most of them knew me, they were all from local here, and they went to the commander and all said, there's no sense trying to keep that guy in. He said, he mowed more than we do. Well, then they they did put me into the more advanced of the motion picture. Mm-hmm. which was used on the B-17 in aerial bombs body. Mm-hmm. Trained in taking still and motion pictures from B-17 bombers, Skeets was shipped off to Camp Griffiths at Bushy Park near London, England, and assigned to an Air Force bomber squadron. We were at uh, Bushy Park. Very secured, hidden, uh, composite of the planes there. Mm-hmm. And Hitler would send these fighters or these bombers over there trying to find us, and we never did find us. He would quickly begin flying combat missions, serving as the tail gunner during enemy engagements, and taking pictures when the fighting subsided. Skeets' experience with photography 
made him a unique asset as a soldier, but he also carried with him skills that were more conventionally suited for his role of shooting down enemy planes. If you played it right, they were coming straight in on you, which you naturally knew it was a, a new fighter, mm-hmm. new pilot, and you you get him every time. See, but they coming in on a right angle or left angle or up high, then you had to use your old instinct of shooting pheasants out on the farm. Lead them, uh-huh. lead them a little bit and let them run right to that. Huh. And I teach my other gunners that. I said, don't shoot at them. Hell, they're gone. Before those bullets get out there, they're going. Yeah. So I go uh, to the waist gunner and I said, now see that baby coming in there? Lead him. Lead him about 75 feet right out in front of him. I ain't going to hit him. I said, no, you won't hit him. He'll run right into it. And that was the last time you ever seen one of those fighters coming in on an angle like that. <laughs> they figured somebody is teaching them how to shoot birds. Uh-huh. And that's the only way you could do it. Huh. If you shot right at them, you're going to miss Gone by the time the shot was yeah. where they were. And that's the reason I got assigned as the, the chief gunner. My captain, he thought I was a grace. He said, boy, I'd sure like to go bird hunting with you. And I said, well, if you ever get together out on the farm, if we get back, I'll take you bird hunting. I said, I'll show you how mm-hmm. to shoot ducks and pheasants. He says, I never get hit one. I said, the reason you shoot right at them. Mm-hmm. And they're either taking off on an angle or they're coming right at you on an angle. He said, you're talking that. <laughs> now, when we were going over to the table, like to Frankfurt or Nuremberg or something like that, uh, we had a fighter opposition, so I was a tail gunner. Oh, okay. And since we'd get out a fighter because of ACAC, then I'd go up front ahead of the Bombay and run the, the big cameras, mm-hmm. the motion picture camera and the big Nine by nine heel camera, we call it. Hmm. So you had to do both. You, you had to do both. You shot both kinds, so to speak. Yeah. You, did. Yeah. <laughs> you oh. shot cameras and you shot guns, huh? My camera was never a dull moment. Never a dull never moment. moment. Yeah, man. I'm not supposed to say it. You want to say it? No. <laughs> you don't want to. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, the bank knows it. <laughs> the bank knows it. That's good enough, huh? Good enough. Okay. That's He's it. writing it down for me. Okay. Uh, we don't. We don't use don't that. Use that. Yeah. <laughs> so Skeets Calvin from Cooner, Colorado, and no, we won't be saying Skeets' given name on this podcast. We'll leave that up to any amateur detectives who are curious. So Skeets, all four foot eleven inches of him, found himself serving as soldier and documentarian in one of the greatest military conflicts in history. 
as the Allied forces captured territory and chased the opposition back into Germany. The town of Bad Nauheim in western Germany was used for housing Allied troops, including Skeets Calvin's photo squad. It was 18 of us in our photo squad, and uh, we covered most every uh, area that could be covered. Hmm. The 18 of us. The way two of the the uh, comrades were from Denver, hmm. which is unusual to have that close mm-hmm. relation, you know, in the same country. But two of them came out of Denver, hmm. and they were both ex-Union uh, Pacific employees on the road. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they got drafted into the service. Yeah, <laughs> that's why they were ex. Huh? <laughs> they were both pretty good guys, and they... When uh, we got back out, we'd meet once in a while in Denver, hit the ride there, clear into Chicago, and loop around there and come back. In Bad Nauheim, Allied soldiers interacted with the city's German inhabitants, which could obviously yeah. get tense on occasion. Down. Well, yeah, we had to carry our 45s all the time. Mm-hmm. Because the older German people, basically down in this area here, uh, they were really nice. They mm-hmm. didn't want the war. It was brought on by Hitler, and the young ones, the younger ones, are the ones we had to watch. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've probably been under Hitler, and, mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. and they still had that blood feeling for him. Mm-hmm. But the older people were really nice. And when we ever had to stay somewhere, we always go to a, a private German home because mm-hmm. they'd agree us right off the bat. See? Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff here would travel from from uh, Bad Nyheim. Mm-hmm. And then when I got shipped to the Pacific, it was the same program there. We used the same program. We got one big headquarters and then we either flew or drove jeeps out of there. One of the ironies of being a war photographer is that you often would never get to see the magazines or newspapers where your photos were published. One picture that Skeets actually was able to see was published in the newspaper Stars and Stripes and required a bit of patience and some know-how yeah, to make fun. it happen. They, uh, a great, big, enormous swarm of bees decided to camp down on the hub of the B-17 oh. engine. Uh-huh. There they were, a great big. So I thought of a good story. So I told the guys to leave them alone, just leave them. They're not going anywhere anyway. So I had this, the master sergeant go and get a tech order. Everything you did in the service, you had to go over the tech book, mm-hmm. tech orders. Mm-hmm. Even you went to the bathroom, I think. <laughs> but he went and got one, and he's up on top of the engine, and he's got the tech book over here, and he's scratching his head. He's like, yeah, trying to figure out, there it is, there. Yeah, oh, right there, there you go. <laughs> he's okay. trying to figure out how to get those bees off the hub. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stars and Stripes used that one. That was cute. Yeah, that's so you cool. you combine the the uh, the technical ability in terms of photography with the inspiration as well, the creative eye. That's that's what makes it. Oh, there we go. That's quick shooting. Yeah. You have to know exactly. Well, he 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 waved to me. And I knew just a few seconds later he was leaving. Huh. And you have to catch it now because you don't realize that guy's going down just like a bomb. Mm-hmm. 
and he's gone. Three weeks before the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, in July of 1945, Skeets and his photo squadron of 18 men were transferred to the island of Guam to document the results of fighting in the South Pacific that, theater of the war. When we got to Guam, they knew they had a feeling what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So they sent us over there, and we nice day we'd go up flying. And uh, the captain says, if you see any unusual cloud formation or anything, take pictures of it. That's all he could tell us. Well, we were dumb up at the time the atomic bomb was dropped. Mm. And that was the reason for it. Because it, when it started building up, it built up a regular thunder head, looked like. Did you ever see it? Never did get Never see, it. see it. Okay. Although he didn't photograph the mushroom cloud from the initial blast, Skeets was part of the first group to survey and document the damage to Hiroshima which meant that his photo squadron was close at hand when the Japanese agreed to sign terms of surrender on September 2, 1945. Skeets traveled to the signing on the command ship the USS Ancon, a ship that, like Skeets, had spent most of the early part of the war in the European theater. And we took theater. from Guam and to Tokyo when the treaty was to be signed. Mm-hmm. And we were on the USS Ancon, which is the Pacific signal ship fleet mm-hmm. to the fleet and we thought it was a monster ship and uh-huh. we pulled in there and pulled up alongside of the battleship Missouri kind of dwarfed your ship then, and huh? we went in a little door right at the waterline mm-hmm. and this sailor took us back oh, probably 200 feet and got us put us on an elevator and we went clear up to the top deck mm-hmm. by elevator where the treaty was to be signed. Did, uh, well, I was wondering, you know, your selection then to do the, the photograph, uh, photographic work at the treaty, did that, was that also a re- reflection of, of your particular group's skill mm-hmm. at it? That you yeah. were considered sort of the, oh, yeah. we were, one of we the top, one of the top uh, groups in the photography field. Mm-hmm. And when it came to assignment, we were the ones that had to move. All right. They, they moved us all over the country. Mm-hmm. Jeep, by air, you name it, mm-hmm. water. <laughs> and when we left Tokyo, uh, we, we stayed in Tokyo for probably a month doing uh, photography in that area. Mm-hmm. But when we left, we went back, came back to San Francisco on the same USS Ancon. Okay. And that was a trip. Boy, <laughs> he talked about fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he took it. Took you two weeks to come back. Okay. They so were just cruising along. They wasn't going to stop speeding. They were going to have fun. Uh huh. Get up on the second deck there, and they had 12 gauge shotguns, and we'd skeet shoot. Skeet shoot? Yeah, With 12 gauge shotguns off the deck yeah. of the ship. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them sailors wondered where the heck we learned to shoot. Mm-hmm. From San Francisco, Skeets traveled back to Denver, where he was discharged at Fort Logan the same place where he had registered for the service four years earlier. I got uh, flown back to uh, Fort Logan. That's where I went in, Fort Logan. I get, and that's where I got kicked out, was in Fort Logan. Not kicked out, but... <laughs> right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we had what they called uh, Navy Infertile. They had different colors. They had the blue discharge. They had a yellow one. Mm-hmm. They had the red one. The red one was for... Uh, maybe handicaps, 
that had gotten wounded or something. Mm -hmm. They were first priority. And the second one was the blue one. And the yellow one was, they had no definite reason to be out, but the government wanted to get rid of them anyway, cut expenses. Mm -hmm. We were second with the blue ones. Okay. And when I hit Fort Logan, they had all my papers, discharge papers, ready to go. All I had to do was sign them, mm -hmm. took a quick physical. In seven hours, I was out of there, mm -hmm. down at the railroad station, catching a train back to Greeley. Back to Greeley. <laughs> that was the end of my, almost around the world. Uh -huh. I would have made it if I could have gotten assigned to China. I really didn't want to go to China. The rest of them did, because... That was a touchy situation over there anyway at that time. Mm-hmm. Still is. Did you have any trouble adjusting after you got back? Mm-hmm. Sure did. What was your major problem? It just, it just seemed like when I got back here, and of course the folks were still out on the farm, naturally I'd go out there. And it just seemed like the world had come to an end. It was completely mm -hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Out there, I stayed on the farm with the folks for one year, but I just couldn't have it. It wasn't what I had been trained for. Uh -huh. Was it was the life a little too slow compared to what yeah. you've been doing? Too slow. Uh, just too slow. <laughs> you just couldn't move fast enough. So that's when I came and started to work at the Reedy Tribune. Uh huh. Worked there. What did I have? Four years. Four years. But basically, you weren't a photographer at the Tribune. Mm -mm. I was an engraver and a press operator. Mm -hmm. And so Skeets, who had once been sent around the world to photograph monumental historic events, now turned his lens on Greeley, Colorado, and the surrounding communities. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Skeets is one of the great visual documentarians in the history of this region. He worked as a photographer and engraver for the Greeley Tribune, as well as the now-defunct Greeley Journal. In 1950, Skeets became a photographer for the Greeley Rodeo, which would later become the Greeley Stampede, a position he would hold for more than 25 years. After facing down enemy fighter planes during the war, standing in the path of a charging bull might not have seemed so intimidating. They had an old white frame out there in the rodeo. That was the meanest bull you ever seen. Mm-hmm. He was so big, he'd just take and get up underneath a horse and just dump him. Well, I decided one afternoon out there, he backed up against the fence and run all the cowboys off the fence. He backed up there and he was looking at me. <laughs> and I just kept walking up to him with my camera and talking to him. I said, just stay there, I'm going to get a picture of <laughs> I guess that audience said, do I come on court? <laughs> I can attest to that. I that old bull never just moved. Hmm. He just stood there looking me right in the eye. And he just faced the balance. And I got <laughs> one shot and I turned around and there was about three pickup cowboys came between me and him okay. on the way back to the fence. Yeah. He had three riders backing him up just yeah. to make sure he didn't Yeah, get I always had one, one of those pickup guys. In 1956, Skeets took a position as the official photographer for the Colorado State College which would later be renamed the University of Northern Colorado. It may have seemed like a safer assignment at the time, but taking photos during football games oh, could prove hazardous as well. After that ball was caught, because I have a distinct feeling he got run over. <laughs> <laughs> one, one afternoon we were playing the Air Force. 
Sheriff UNC. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was about four little Air Force guys just clobbered me good right out there on that field. So they came over and picked me up and asked me if I was all right. I said, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> Boy, he made sure he <laughs> Right from the back. Because mm-hmm. I was waiting for the play to come from this way. Oh, and, and he got unexpected. Oh, man. Defense. There isn't much basic biographical information on Skeets to be found in the 1992 interview. According to the Greeley Museum's notes on the Skeets Calvin collection, he was married to Juanita Goodwin Kane in 1948, and they adopted a son, Larry Kane. Up in uh, Sheridan, Wyoming now, superintendent school. Mm-hmm. When he went, to, when I was working at the, was the Colorado State College then. Was UNC, mm-hmm. where he was going to grade school up there. About every other day, I'd have to go over to the principal's office and bail him out. <laughs> get in trouble, the kid could get in trouble. Last time you saw him was a reunion up there? No, yeah, on the first time I seen him for years. See, he went through university high school, graduated. Uh-huh. And then he came to me and he said, Dad, I want to go to college and get me a master's degree in teaching and uh, the work you do in the uh, superintendent's office. I said, get what? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I said, get in trouble, I'll come bail you out like I have for years. <laughs> After he graduated from grade school and went into high school, he completely changed. It hmm. turned clear around went the other way. What he did was going to be perfect. Hmm. One shot. I got on him, and is up at uh, Pinewood Lake, or the old Rattlesnake Lake, above Loveland. Mm-hmm. It's above the Flatiron Park Lake. Quite a little drive up there. But the lake, is lays in a little valley. Good-sized lake. But he always liked to go fishing. That's the only time I could keep him in one place. I'd find him a spot where it'd be good for him to fish. And he sat there on that rock by the hours. And never moved. Hmm. But I got, I don't know where you got one of them. I have it, sir. Yeah. But tell it, uh, what it, happened when you saw him at UNC, it, when you were photographing. Yeah. But that lake is just this glass clear. No wrinkles on it or hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. And he sat there on that rock with his knees, like this, a little pole out there in the water. He sat that way for hmm. a good hour. What he was thinking about out there looking out in that lake, I don't know. But getting, then I went up on a little hill and shot where you get down on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, did uh, he develop much of an interest in photography, too? Not that I know. Maybe a little bit of amateur or something like that. Yeah. But him and his wife and, and uh, things like that. How about the grandkid? Now the, the granddaughter. Granddaughter. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I see grandchild, granddaughter. Okay, she's here. Here go this last Christmas Eve. I got a phone call about 11 o'clock, and it was him. He said, Dad, I got good news for you. I said, What is it? He said, You are now a grandpa. As of about an hour ago, I said, well, Congratulations. Tell your wife, good luck. The date of his divorce from Juanita isn't in the notes, but he remarried Loretta Ann Drossler in 1956. 
according to Skeets, he is the last member of the Calvin family line. Wasn't that the first time the National Park Service had authorized right. snowmobiles in the park itself? To get involved with that particular situation. Because that's a wilderness area. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, and they called us in here. Mm -hmm. So you were involved with that organization for a while then? For about... Oh, I was with No Rescue for 10 years. Okay. Where did you do Where did you do most of your work? You didn't go into the park so much then? No, we, our area was Red Feathers. Okay. Back in Dunn Creek Basin. Mm-hmm. Back in that area there. Uh, we pulled a lot of cross country out of that mm -hmm. area back in there, you know. Damn near froze. Uh -huh. But the ranger would send us out. We got a radio contact that there's two up at the, oh, the uh, Hanson cabin, which was a cabin that used by the, uh, uh, the rangers in the summertime to herd their cattle. Mm hmm. Well, we knew right where it was at. Mm -hmm. Going into it was great, but boy, coming back out, it's the son of a bitch. What was difficult about coming out? You know, just oh, yeah. And there again, we'd have to follow the trail. Because mm -hmm. if you got off that trail, you just forget about it. Mm -hmm. You're buried. <laughs> it's too deep. Uh, too deep. Too deep. Yeah. This is Skeets describing his time with snow and rescue. Listening to Skeets describe his life can make one feel a bit lazy. In addition to doing search and rescue, Skeets was a pilot who took aerial photographs of the region, holding the airplane controls between his knees while he shot pictures out of the window. I still have my pilot's license, even at 70, damn near 76. Mm -hmm. I had to have it renewed every three years because mm -hmm. of my age. But there's a lot of aerial stuff that I've taken around here after I got out of the service. And I did it myself in a 710 Luscombe. Hmm. Hold a stick between my legs, <laughs> sit around, or set a cockeyed, uh -huh. find a cockeyed, and shoot okay. out the window. Okay. So you did a lot of aerial photography, and really, at that point. Did all of the horse tooth, Carter Lake, hmm. did all that. That was for the government. I did that whole thing. I got a complete story of the drilling of the Adams Tunnel. Hmm. We're back to that was a lot of work, too. Unfortunately, there's just no way to do justice to all of Skeets' accomplishments in this brief format. But I should at least mention the 21 times he summited Long's Peak, most of them hiking alone. Or his term as the head grower at Erickson's Greenhouse. Or even his second term in the military. He was also a decorated member of his VFW post. These events, that would be remarkable in most lives, are simply relegated to mere footnotes in this story. As a photographer, Skeets Calvin knew better than most the importance of timing. He described himself as a one-shot photographer. Timing for Skeets meant the possibility of freezing a moment to tell a story a hobby and philosophy that echoes into his entire way of life. He's a man who seized opportunities as they arose, and whose life tells a profound story as a result. 
He's the rare person who seemed to appreciate that life is a one-shot endeavor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealthcast. If you would like more information about the project or would like to participate, please visit our website at wealthcast.us or by calling 1-888-861-7323. This has been a production of the High Plains Library District.